0: Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Atlanta, Georgia, it's time for CEO Exclusive, brought to you by Anona Enterprises.
1: Good morning and welcome to CEO Exclusive, where we get emerging trends from CEOs and their most trusted advisors. I'm your host, Soyini Koch. Listen, I know that you CEOs are dealing with crises and events and changes in your business all the time. I'm very excited to welcome on today's show Tom and Frida Rumpf from Rumpf & Associates who are experts in maintaining their service integrity in the midst of a very fast-moving crisis environment. Welcome to the show.
0: Thank you. Thank you.
1: So Tom and Frida, tell us first of all a little bit about what you do at, at Rumpf & Associates and how you've been helping the CDC deal with, cri- uh, you know, some of these really important crises that have been happening in, in health uh, in the past few years?
2: We are a government contractor, um, this small disadvantaged business, and we have the uh, 8A status. And so that allows the um, government, any government agency, particularly the CDC in this case, to engage us quickly to contracts, you know, to executing as contracts that are, that have value of up to $4 million. Mm-hmm. So. Um, that's a good thing. However, you have to be a, a ready, willing partner for the government and to understand how they operate. So I'm going to start with that.
1: Mm. What um, did you do? So what fascinated me when we were, we're, were talking with you is your work with Zika and Ebola, right? Yes. Yes. What did you do for the CDC and the government agencies in the midst of those crises?
2: Um, well, uh, you, I'm sure as you and all the listeners have heard, um, Ebola was a crisis a couple of years ago. So um, obviously the CDC had to mobilize an effort to uh, to fight the spread of the virus. So we provided uh, 58 vehicles and drivers to take epidemiologists, uh, vax, uh, people to distribute vaccines and so on and so forth around Sierra Leone, both in Freetown, which is the main capital, and also some of the... Um, more rural outside areas. So we had to engage fairly quickly because, you know, the crisis came quickly. So we ended up um, engaging with two companies in Sierra Leone to provide vehicles and drivers. And also we had to engage with the uh, two main petroleum companies in Sierra Leone, two national petroleum companies. So we contracted with them. We had to pay in Sierra Leones, uh, Leonis, which is the Sierra Leone currency, U.S. dollars. And in some cases, we had to make payments to Lebanon. Mm. So we had to be, you know, fast, willing, able, and ready and to understand the international environment, which we do.
1: Yeah, and and for listeners, what Tom didn't share with you is I understand that all this happened in a week.
2: Yes, it did.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so when we're talking about getting things right very, very quickly, uh, it's not an exaggeration. Frida, as as the, the COO, of Rumpf & Associates. You're thinking about all these moving parts and getting that done in such a very short period of time. What are some of your key tenets or recommendations that you have for other CEOs listening about how to maintain your operational integrity in such a a fast-moving environment?
0: Well, sometimes it can be challenging and you can't really have boundaries like I don't work on weekends. (laughs) Um,
1: uh, everybody uh, <laughs> listening to the show works on the weekend, so.
0: But, you know, just making sure, first of all, that the staff, you know, is always ready to work and do what's necessary whenever you have to. And maintaining our um, contacts and relationships all the time is very important so that you're not just, you know, when you call people up and you need something, you know, They have some idea of what you do, the kind of things you might need and are willing to um, jump in right away and help you get what you need.
1: Mm -hmm. So let's get specific. So I imagine that this, you know, the CDC calls you and says, you know, Frida, Tom, we have this thing happening and we got to get something really important done in a very short period of time, in a week. Right. We got to deploy all these resources in a week. Um in the worst case scenario i could imagine you know a whole bunch of people in sierra leone running helter skelter you know dropping the the vaccine vial and spreading Ebola all over the all over the country right how do you how do you from here in atlanta maintain you know quality control processes and you know having people be motivated to do such important tasks with a high level of quality when you're here and they're thousands of miles away
2: well, Frida touched on it a bit. You really have to have the relationships formed before you need them. The relationships formed, the, the people that you have the relationships with, they have to understand what's expected of them. Uh, that's the difference between a good company and a bad company. The employees understand what's expected of them. They're excited about coming in every day so that they can make the company great. So whether they're full-time employees, whether it's our people that are helping us in Sierra Leone, or anywhere else. You have to have that established first. Otherwise, I couldn't pick up the phone and call you and say, look, we need to do something in Atlanta. Let's get started. You've never worked with us. You don't understand us, and we don't have a relationship. So one of the things that we've done is spend an extensive amount of time building relationships around the world. And um, we can spend a lot of time on that one. So, But a, um, a lot of it came from our prior experience on the continent and in corporate America.
1: Mm. So let's go back to the maintaining of the you know the standards and the accountability. How do you hold people accountable when they're in, in Sierra Leone, for example? What what do you what do you do to let them know what the expectations are and then know that they're actually delivering on those expectations on a daily basis?
2: Okay. Well in Sierra Leone, as I mentioned, we had all of the vehicles and the drivers and we had a Two people, actually full-time employees that were dispatchers and managing the logistics around moving people around. Well, what we ended up doing was our, um, our guy in Accra, Ghana, which is where we have another office, he manages West Africa. And so he has the relationships in 12 to 13 countries in West Africa. So we have someone in West Africa that um, deals with our guy in Accra. And he has an understanding, a deep understanding of the country, and he has a deep understanding of Rumpf and Associates. So what we did with him was he, we entered in a relationship with him where he had access to a bank account and funding, and he's able to go out and form relationships with um, recruiting firms. And so the recruiting firm helped us get the high-quality people that we needed, and we were able to put them through the Rumpf and Associates recruiting process where we focus on behaviors. Mm. and um, technical skills are good but if you don't understand you know how to negotiate how to communicate and the behaviors that make you a solid person with run from associates you're not going to do well with us so we're able to screen against that
1: did I Uh, hear you say that you gave somebody in West Africa your bank account (laughs) 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 so when so when people are getting those phone calls and say hey listen you should give me your bank account number
2: well um, the (laughs) (laughs) is <laughs> so the, the,
1: laughing like, okay. The,
2: the interesting thing is that they have more controls on the bank accounts in Sierra Leone than we do here. And then the second thing is, is that it was a, it required two signatures. And the second signature was our guy in Accra and he could do it electronically. So, um, I am a CPA and I'm not a fool.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, that I, the second I knew, the first I didn't. <laughs> well, no, go, I didn't. go ahead. <laughs> Rita was just chuckling and wagging her head. Go ahead. Um,
0: well, you know, but people, I'm sure that, that that is something that people wonder. But we do work with professionals. And so you're not just hiring people off the street, you know, with no knowledge um, of what you're doing. And so it, it makes a difference.
2: Well, yeah. and the other thing, if you aren't willing to take a risk of some kind, you aren't going to get any, any reward whatsoever. Mm. And so as a company, we are always eva- assessing the risk versus the reward. And making a determination about whether we do something or not, and um, needless to say, um, being able to do business in Sierra Leone is extremely profitable hmm. yeah. if, if you can do it.
1: Yeah, exactly, exactly. Because there are a whole bunch of people who can't. So this behavior thing, I think, is is critical. And how, because I think this is where the you know the the train comes off the track, right? So. You have this set of behaviors, and this is whether or not you're trying to manage somebody in Huntsville or Atlanta or, you know, Johannesburg or Accra. This notion of trying to match the behaviors that you want with the people that you actually hire, I think is just huge and can't be overemphasized. So um, would you mind just sharing a little bit more about what the Rumpf & Associates its recruiting process is and how you're able to find people that behave the way that you want them to behave?
0: Well, actually, um, part of it, you know, you are depending on the people who you already have. Once you, everyone has a shared vision and they understand what's expected and what our goals are and what we're trying to achieve and how we work together, then they're actively also looking for and helping you find those same type of people and helping to maintain those same behaviors.
2: One other thing I'll add to that, um, we inspect what we expect. In the interview process, we will ask them about specific situations where they have to describe to us the behaviors that we're looking for. So I'll, if I'm looking for someone to describe their, I don't know, negotiation skills, and I'll just say, tell me about a time when you were put into a situation where you had to negotiate with and had an adversarial negotiation what was the situation? What was the task? What were the actions you were required to take? What were the results, and what did you learn? Frame your answer that way. So we ask those kind of questions around each of the behaviors that we're looking for.
1: Hmm. Great. So just to switch the conversation now from an employee part back to the relationships with the you know your partners, and then with the the CDC. How do you go about maintaining these you know, incredibly high-value relationships I mean, and, and doing it all over the world and still have the time to manage this wonderful team of people that are all over the world?
2: The way I look at it is, is um, I like football. So when I'll just say you intercept the pass and you're going down the sideline and nobody's there, everybody can just dance into the end zone. But you're really defined by what you do when something goes wrong. And um, if your client and your partner's, See you staying under control and getting the facts and making fact-based decisions so that you can uh, address the issues. That's really the key. Because as a CEO, I don't make anything other than decisions. Mm. And so mine have to be effective and fact-based. And so I believe when um, our partners and customers and clients see that, they react positively to it.
1: This is That's really great. So as a CEO, you don't make anything decisions. That's going to probably end up being a great a great tweet or post. Um, it may end up being the title of our article for this week. <laughs> what are the most important decisions that you think, the kinds of decisions that you make every day?
2: Easy. People. Mm-hmm. Whether it's employees, whether it's clients, whether it's customers, whether it's partners, it all comes to people. Because everything that we do is actually reliant on working with, with and through someone else. And if you aren't making good decisions there, I can guarantee you everything else fails.
0: That's why, you know, I said we make decisions and you we rely on our people to help us achieve the goals and maintain the standards. So it's really important, the people who you have in place. Mm.
1: I get that, right? So we had this conversation, listeners, yesterday, and I have this conversation with my guests a lot about People, CEOs on the show make these big statements like, it's about people, right? And it's like, yeah, everybody's like, yeah, it's about people. And then once you get into the subtleties, everything breaks down. Why do you think it's so difficult to make the these good decisions around people? And, like, you know, why? I mean, obviously not every business succeeds. Go ahead, Frida. I was
0: going to say, I think one of the difficulties is, which is something we have to constantly focus on, is to be more fact-based and not work so much off of emotions Uh, because people are emotional. And a lot of times people respond and they make decisions and they do things based on how they feel, which we emphasize quite a bit. That's valid, but that's not what you make decisions on, how you feel. And so it goes back to making sure we're being more factual about the things that we're, you know, dealing with.
2: And I'll add to that. um, This is going to sound like I'm blaming God, but. (laughs) Go ahead. (laughs) Uh, God gave us all free will. So um, no company, no one else, no parent can take that from you. So if you bring someone in who's exercising their free will and it doesn't help make the company great, you got a problem. And the thing is, is that if you are not making effective decisions around bringing in the kind of people that when they're exercising their free will, it works for you. If it, if, if it doesn't, you got a serious issue. It's going to affect your culture. It's, you're going to have to spend time dealing with it. And, you know, sometimes when you get things into your company, you can't get them out. Mm-hmm. And whether it's a, it could be a client, be an employee, it could be a partner. It's all the same thing. If they're exercising their free will, even someone could be giving you a multi-million dollar contract. If it's the wrong kind of relationship, it's going to be a major, major issue. And some of those contracts you don't want. And we've turned out money. Oh, not all money is good money. So those decisions are key, 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 key. And it's who do you bring, who do you introduce into the gene pool? Mm-hmm.
0: Now, I know that may sound simple, but believe me, we've learned some things from experience, and it's not always perfect, and then you have to correct. Hmm.
1: All right, so we're going to talk about that in a moment. So for those of you listening, we're talking to Tom and, and Frieda Rump from Rump & Associates. They're government contractors who work with the CDC on some of these really big uh, health crises that have happened over the past few years. All right, so tell us, give us an example of one of the... the the people decisions that didn't go so great and what you learned from it? Let's just say uh, a great example is probably one of our
0: first big contracts. We, you know, as we were learning, we went through a process, we hired people and the contract went well, but some of the issues we did have, we learned were all related to our hiring processes and the things that we thought we needed and what we were looking for. And we learned from it, you know, had to make some decisions the next year, the contract, not to bring some people back and to recruit for different qualifications. Actually, I was going to say, and Tom can tell you more about it, but that was a good example.
2: Yeah, because it was the first big contract that we had with the CDC, and it was, um, we had to do work in nine countries. So we looked at the work and said, okay, let's hire the people technically that can do the work.
1: Ooh, that's a a real pitfall.
2: It is. Well, one of the things that we didn't see as we were making the assessment about the type of people that we needed to bring in, uh, there were six different stakeholders that they had to deal with, not one. And so dealing with people was actually a lot more important than being able to handle public health economics, which is what we were in there to do. So, We brought in high-quality people, but they had the wrong foundational or soft skills. So they were their green-eye-shade economists to do the work when it was really you had to juggle six stakeholders, and they didn't much care how well you did the work or at what level you did the work. So we had to make adjustments in year two, and we almost lost that contract because of that.
1: How do you evaluate, because, uh, and so this is a great example of where you would, you would think that technical skills would be paramount, right? Like you're dealing with the Ebola crisis, or you're dealing with Zika, so you have to have somebody who gets this just right. How do you evaluate that trade-off between technical skills and, and
2: behaviors? Well, let's not get confused. Um, with Ebola and Zika, you need technical skills for that. People skills are not required.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but that's a trade-off, right? How do you know? Because you made the, you you assumed in that other first contract that it was the technical skills that were more important, mm-hmm. right? So how do you know which, when is the more, it's more important?
2: Well, the government usually provides you with something called a statement of work. And so in the statement of work, they describe who you need to work with and how you need to work with them and what deliverables you need to provide. So usually there are clues in there. Um, we were green at the time on the first one, so we didn't see the clues. But one of the key things you have... Are they
1: to, always right, though? Because the clients I work with don't always know what they need.
2: Yeah, but um, the reason why... <laughs> yeah, but that's why they have us. If they knew what they needed, they could do it themselves and right. require us. Right. So, <laughs> so um, from our side, we the thing is, is that We assess everything that we have done. So um, we always are looking back and saying, okay, what did we see? What didn't we see? What was unforeseen versus what was unforeseeable? So the one that's unforeseen is our fault because we should have been able to look at the document or look at the situation and see that. The unseeable, you know, you just go, okay, there's nothing to be learned from that. And so we do an assessment of every contract that we've worked on, we do an assessment of every proposal that we've won, and we do an assessment of every every proposal we've lost. Because as we're talking about fact-based decisions, you got to gather facts when you can. And you spoke to um, the clients not knowing what they want. Well, if they don't have information, use yours. And we have a lot of experiences. We can bring those experiences to bear and help them, even when they don't necessarily know.
1: I wanna go back though to the question I asked, which is I think I can
0: I'm not I, trying to be a tough interviewer, but you know. No, I, I, I remember the question and and what um and the answer is we had to learn what were the skills we need that people needed to have when we hired them and which ones could be taught. And that's what made the difference. Once we identified the skills that could be taught, but it's like okay. We will teach that if we need to, but the skills that they had to come with, they have to have this or they don't qualify. Mm -hmm. And sometimes, and a lot of times it was those soft skills and it was being able to manage and deal with the various um, agencies and partners and being able to make people feel comfortable and to be able to do that effectively was very important and then some of the technical things they can learn
2: Mm.
1: so you know we were talking about this whole uh matrix of people so you're having a you know kind of a you're learning you're green on this contract and the client maybe things are not going so well how did you manage the client in that situation you know your client in that situation to get your two right Mm
2: -hmm. well i'm probably i probably overstated how badly we did, quote unquote, we, we actually delivered against the contract. But, you know, um, people don't really remember what you did. They remember how they felt as you were doing it. And that was the issue that we had to address. And so it really took a one-on-one meeting with the leader on the other side and myself and just looked the eyes and said, we get what we did well, we get what we didn't do well. This is what we're going to do in year two to make sure this is a lot easier for you. Mm. And she accepted that, and we moved forward. It was just that simple.
1: Well, it's simple, but it's not easy, right? I I imagine Mm. that conversation took a lot of courage.
2: And and it was a 17-page PowerPoint deck where we went and laid out the facts Mm. about what happened. And the facts sometimes put us in a good light, and sometimes it didn't. But I think the only way you can really execute against something, and this is what I told her, is that we have to have a shared view of reality. So I'm presenting reality to you. This is the good and bad about us, good and bad on your side. And this is what I think we need to do to make sure that we put our focus on what we're trying to deliver. We're a partner. Mm
1: -hmm. So There's a lot of wisdom in in that. Let's go back to your comment about bringing um, a fact-based approach to dealing with people. What are some of the facts that you're looking at when you're having this you know these very emotional conversations around around people issues? Let's let's do employees. Well,
0: uh, go ahead no. We look at behaviors a lot of times, and sometimes we say, okay, we really don't know the reason why. You may know how things, you know how people respond, how they act, how it makes you feel. And we say anything we do is an assumption. So the only thing we can do is look at behaviors and what's actually happening.
1: So give us an example.
2: It's (laughs) tough because you don't want someone to listen to this interview and recognize (laughs) this.
1: That's really funny.
2: (laughs) That's why you're getting a lot of hesitation, because I have a whole basket full of examples. (laughs) (laughs) And the only one that I could use it to have to be me and her, and I don't want to do that. Either. Yes, you got to go, go, go home with her afterwards.
1: Uh, <laughs> if you can't tell listeners they're married, so well, but
0: you know what? Even that, you know, has taken some growing into because um, I know, and sometimes you know, it's interesting. He'll be going through great pains to teach me something and tell me what I need to know. But I know he's really trying to do it in a way so that my feelings aren't hurt. But of course they are. (laughs) But at the same time, we know that we need to do this. Constructive criticism is a good thing, and you need it, and you need to be open to it. Unfortunately, everyone doesn't have the same understanding that we have between each other. So when you're dealing with other people, and you're trying to deliver constructive um, criticism and things to help people develop and move on, sometimes it's well-received and sometimes it's not.
2: Yeah, and the, the interesting thing is, and she used the word criticism, we we try not to, to to describe the facts. And criticism is a description of a set of facts. And so you try to say, okay, look, let's, let's, The CEO exclusive sign here, it's red, has black in it, and it's white. Let's start with that. Can we agree with that? Okay, now, you might take that as a criticism, but it doesn't change the fact. And so um, um, we try to get a level of trust with people so that they get, and even between us, you get, okay, I'm bringing some facts to you. Those facts don't sound good, but let's accept those facts for what they are, and then we can go from there to execute against what we need to do. Because the problem is not between you and me. Um, You know, we're sitting here discussing a set of facts that are there, and and we have to get that issue addressed. Our client is expecting us to get that issue addressed. Our employees are expecting us to get that issue addressed. Our partners are expecting us to get that issue addressed. We don't really have time for boohooing and saying, okay, my feelings are hurt. Because I know I did something wrong, but you have the audacity to tell me about it <laughs> and try to get me to, to improve. You know, I did that. I thought it was right. I did it based on my free will. Why are you here trying to change me? Corporate, you're changing me. That kind of behavior is counterproductive.
1: Hmm. But what about situations of, of, of culture, right? So other cultures don't necessarily have the same work ethic that the U.S. has through he wagging her head. So, you know, what they think what we think is a work day may not necessarily be what other people think is a work day. But so what? Well, it's it's the fact piece, right? Like you want people to work a work day, but they think a work day is, you know, taking a 2-hour lunch and a whatever whatever. Um and you don't think that that's a work day. How, so, how do you deal with those kinds of situations where there's a where people don't interpret the facts the same way? I think that's what I'm asking.
2: Well, the thing is is that And this is going to sound like a bit of a cop-out, but the thing is, is that you have the facts and then you have a lot of perspectives. And so no matter how fact-based and how solemnly I give you the facts or how fact-based I think I am, I'm giving you my perspective of those facts. And so when you're dealing with someone from another culture, they're giving you their perspective of the facts. And so now to try to get someone to the true set of facts, you can do it one of two ways. You can stand on your perspective of the facts and fight with them, or you could go to where they are, take them by the hand and bring them over to you. So the second approach is the one that we follow. And you have to be flexible because you have all the different countries we're operating in, you have different perspectives on the same set of facts, and you cannot bring the African-American, american perspective to those facts in every situation and expect everybody to get it immediately. You can, you'll go home happy, and you won't have any level of success, particularly in all the countries that we operate in. And not an answer, but you just have to be flexible. Great. And I'll give you a specific example. Um, we were doing an audit in, in, in a country in Africa, and um, we talk about the different cultures. We had to, we had to bring in, well, five-sixths of the team Excuse me. We're African because they're dealing with other Africans. And our job was to get information from the other Africans that was that were there. Now, I could have brought in a team of Americans that came in and say, okay, you know, we were signed on to do an audit. We're getting paid for it. You guys are supposed to give us this information and you're supposed to work whatever hours it takes to give us that. Well, we could have gone in there, and done that. All we would have had at the end were would have been complaints about how we didn't get what we needed. So we went in with folks that understood the people that they were dealing with, and we got what we needed. And it's more important to solve the problem than to solve the problem your way. Didn't know if I answered your question. That's but, great.
1: That's great. Uh, Rita, did you have anything to add? No. All all right. Right. <laughs> she <laughs> approved, Tom. <huh? laughs>
2: she sometimes does. <laughs>
1: Great. So as the um, as you wrap up the show, tell us a little bit about what's happening at at and Associates that you think other CEOs might be interested in hearing in terms of new services expansion. What what's happening at the at the company?
2: Wow. Well, we're doing something that um, as a small business, it's kind of tough to do. Um, we are building a business development function, and so um, what that function is responsible for is is You know, you have all of these opportunities out there. You know how the world is your oyster. And what we do is take those opportunities through gates. So one of the things that we're doing is we're trying to leverage um, our experience internationally with the CDC into work with USAID and other agencies that operate internationally. And so that's very exciting for us. Um, We may be moving into some... Uh, reading programs in Malawi, Mm. for instance, which is not something that we've done before. And you go, well, you haven't said anything about that. But um, we have a a unique ability to go into countries, build teams, and operate quickly. So that applies more than just to Ebola and Zika. It can apply to almost anything. So we're very excited about that. We've proposed on several, well, several large contracts. is three large ones. Uh, one is uh, approximately $250 million over five years. Um, now, we wouldn't get the whole 250 because they'd have multiple awardees. So that one we're looking forward to doing, and it's providing services in 84 countries for the CDC. Um, we're, we've just proposed on a contract with the uh, USAID for um, providing services in 11 countries in Southern Africa. So we're we're very excited about some of the things that we're doing. And we have a whole lot of smaller things going. So, um, but putting that business development function together is what's allowed us to go after the opportunities that present the least amount of risk and the highest amount of reward for us as a company and to allow us to continue to grow.
1: Wonderful. That's really exciting. So, listeners, we've been talking to Tom and Frida Rumpf of Rumpf & Associates a government contractor that works with the CDC and other government agencies on health, crisis, health crises like Zika and Ebola. Thank you very much for an awesome show. It's great having you. Uh,
2: thanks for thank, having us. Thank you. Yeah.
1: And, uh, folks, I'm Soyini Koch, your host. Um, you've been listening to CEO Exclusive Radio. I hope you have a profitable, prosperous, and very productive week. Thanks.
0: This show is brought to you by Anona Enterprises, where strategy is your access to money and performance. Learn more at anonaenterprises.com.